Can somebody say amen to that this morning? I know I got to preach, but I just want to stay here for a while, but that's not what Pastor Kyle asked me to do. Oh, my. All right. I think we're good. Praise the Lord, everybody. Y'all can be seated. I'm changing microphones on you, bro. That worship leader thing, man, sometimes that, I'll get that itch. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You get the itch, right? Particularly when you're going at another, somebody else's church, you're like, I think I'm just going to go take over. <laughs> and I can't do it no better. Y'all come on, give it up for him. Give it up for Seth, the word, you know, all these guys. I know that's not Seth, but he's back there. I get the itch. And then if I see somebody preaching, I'm like, I'll take over from here because I get the itch, right? I, I want to do it all. You can't do it all, I don't guess. Welcome to second service. We had fun in first service, y'all. Oh, we had fun. Um, so Pastor Kyle and I have been working. Oh, by the way, I forgot my glasses in Nashville, so I'm just hoping y'all are still here. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> but honestly, it's just a big old blur, right? So... When Pastor Kyle asked me to do this, uh, we started writing this stuff back in November, December, something like that. And uh, he asked me to do week one of, of Love Handles. And I thought, man, this is going to be fun because you guys may not know this, but back in Tennessee, I practiced marriage and family therapy there. Like my vocation is taking couples in crisis and uh, couples in distress. Maybe they've learned about infidelity in the relationship. Maybe they just... Um, you know, it's really, really difficult. Maybe there's been a disruption of something happened in their relationship and I'll take these couples for three days at a time. Three whole days of therapy. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> there's a joke that says, you know, the only person happy to be in this room is the therapist, right? That is generally true. But yeah, so when he said this, I said, can I approach this from the way I do stuff in my office? I mean, like in therapy, like not as a preacher. He said, oh my gosh. He said, that would be great. So if it's not great, blame him. <laughs> I'm joking. No, it'll be fun today. So we're going to approach this through a clinical therapeutic lens today. We're going to see what the scripture says about it, but just know that I'm going to be leaning heavier on the clinical part. Is that okay? Hope so. Cause I'm here for 30 minutes. So yeah. Um, my wife says hello again. She says, she'll see you sometime. If you've been here for a while, you know I've been here for over a year now. My wife still hasn't come to church. Y'all pray for her. She's lost. <laughs> and I hope she's not watching right now. Yeah. So we're going to begin with a very famous passage of Scripture. In fact, I went over this passage months ago here where we read it line by line by line. We're going to go back to it today, but we're going to read only four verses. 1 Corinthians 13, reading out of the English Standard Version. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Come, say amen. You know that's a high bar. <laughs> Y'all act so spiritual sometimes. Let's, let's just get real about this and go, Paul went off the rails. Like, come on, dude. 
I'm just trying to get up in the morning. Right? And Paul goes off the rails and goes on this right here. And then I look at this and go, I think I can do that with my wife. But with other people, y'all going to have to pray for me. Right? I can appreciate what he's saying. But when I read it, often I feel like I don't know that I can live up to that. I mean, love requires a lot from me. Biblical love. Can we say it like that? Biblical love requires a lot from me. So like, how do I do this? Well, I figured this thing out a little bit, not necessarily how to do it well, but like, rather than feeling badly about not hitting this really high bar, what if we were not to ask how we do this, but what if we flip the question on its head and ask why? Should we love like that? Why? So I want you to participate in something. This is an introvert's worst nightmare. Turn to your neighbor and tell them or ask them this question. Come on, participate with me. Look at your neighbor and ask them this question. Why should I love like that? Why should I love like that? For all the introverts, just say it to yourself. Just say it to yourself. Because I know y'all didn't participate. If you did, that's, you have won today. You have won today. My wife used to often say, she said, you know, the worst time in church on Sunday morning is when we have to turn and say hello to our neighbor. So guess what I instituted at church every Sunday? You're going to learn today. What if the why, hear this, Y'all go with me this morning, okay? What if the why is not just because the Bible says so? I mean, that's part of it, obviously, right? But what if there's actually more to the why? And there is. There's actually neuroscience and physiology around why love works and looks like 1 Corinthians 13. So why is the standard of love to be patient and kind? Why is the demand of love to not boast or work out of envy? Why is love not supposed to be arrogant? Why does not insist on its own way? Why is love not supposed to insist on its own way or show irritability or resentfulness? Why? And I really want to know the answer to this one. Why does my wife remind me of this? Right? There has to be a deeper reason. There has to be a deeper reason, even more so than what Paul the writer would even know himself at that point before the development of how we understand the brain and how we understand the body. We know more now about the brain and how we are wired as humans and what we need. Everybody say the word need. Need. I'm gonna give you one little quote. I love this. John, John Bowlby, he is the inventor of what you call attachment theory. He developed attachment theory out of scientific basis. And John Bowlby says this, we're only as needy as our unmet needs. Oh, isn't that good? I just geeked out. Okay. We're only as needy as our unmet needs. So this kind of love is what we need because it is often an unmet need in our life. 
It's how humans thrive. And the New Testament writers simply did not have the words at that time as to why love needed to function like this. So all he could do was to describe how. Does that make sense? It was descriptive, not prescriptive. So, but what if something is happening so deep in the human heart that Paul can't explain it? But what he does know is this. This kind of love can change everything. So there are three ideas I'm going to give you, and we're just going to, I'm going to give them all to you right now. So if you want to check out of the sermon, you don't have to listen the rest of the time. You'll get it all right here. Okay. Cause after that's a lot of content. Okay. Three points I'm going to give you first love creates room R O O M love creates room. Secondly, love creates curiosity. And third, love creates connection. It creates room, curiosity, and connection. Now, love creates room. We're going to dig into what, how love creates room here. And Paul says it like this. I'm, this is how Paul would say love creates room. Love in verse four, right? Love does not insist on its own way. Now, I want my, friend, my friends Jeff and Sue to come and help me, okay? Look what I have for you guys. Do you know how stupid I felt walking into this church with these this morning and could, and could not explain to people just looking at me like, this is intentional, right? Okay, come on up here. Now, face each other like you're married or something. Put your hula hoop, make it in the center, right? Just like that. Yep, just like that. That's right. The center, mm -hmm. you got it? Just right there. Now, touch hula hoops. That's weird. So... <laughs> So love, now this example will either work or it won't. It just depends on how it comes out, okay? Paul says love does not insist on its own way. So this is what creating room, how love creates room for us. Love creates room for one important piece of our marriages, our relationships, and our lives. You ready? Love creates room for authenticity. Now, that word is very important for all of us today, okay? Because if I cannot show up authentic to you, you have yet to meet all of me. You with me? Okay? So, what happens here is that within this space, if you could visualize this is the room that I have for growth, for connection, for love, for autonomy. This is the room that I have, right? This is the room where I fall apart in because I'm talking about inside of us, right? This is my little circle. Remember the movie where they said, this is my dancing space. This is your dancing space. Remember that? Y'all are watching bad movies. <laughs> you see what I did there? I roped them in. You got it? Preachers are bad about that, right? So, this is your space for growth. This is your space for love. This is your space for authenticity. This is your space for doubt, for belief, for your version of life. This is your version for the same thing. You've got a version of parenting. He has a version of parenting. He told me so. I'm joking. You've got a, we all have different versions. This is your version of yourself when you're alone and your version of yourself when you're with somebody. Don't act foolish. Y'all know what I'm talking about. This is your verse, right? This is the, this is the holy Jeff and the lost Jeff. I mean the, right? But here's what love does. 
Love says, I'm gonna allow you to come into my space and I'm not gonna judge you because you look different than I do. Love requires authenticity. Love creates room for authenticity. Are you tracking with me? So I'm gonna y'all to stay just like this, okay? All right? I'm gonna read a few things and then I'll let you go sit down. <laughs> right? When I refuse to insist on my own way, I'm creating room for my partner to show up and be authentic and I allow them into my space. I allow them into my life. And here's, here's the way it would show up in a question. Can I show up with all the bumps and the bruises and you hold me rather than despise me? Can I be authentic to my own set of beliefs and values even when they differ from yours? Now, this is saying I'm inviting you into my authentic self because I want you to see all of me. And here's the beauty about the marital, whole marital road and journey you're on. You will spend your entire marriage rediscovering who your partner is if you get curious enough. And we'll talk about that part in just a moment, okay? But in order, Jeff, he was being naughty, Okay, when I know what you're doing up here, I'm not stupid. I know what you're doing. So this is why I picked you though, because I knew we would have fun. Even if y'all can't hear it, we're having fun. This allows me to see you and say, I may not, I may, let me get over here. Dearly beloved, we are, I'm joking. <laughs> this allows me, this allows, authenticity allows you to look at him and for you to look at her and say, I may not understand everything about you, but I want to know even the places that don't make sense. And authenticity would say something like this. There's a part of me that worries that you won't love me. Hmm. hmm. Do we need to have a therapy session? <laughs> right. There's a, huh? Oh, you, that's right, you do. That's what she does. That's right. He says, I live with one. Yes. My wife suffers the same fate. <laughs> Will you love me even if what you see you don't like? Can all of me show up in the room? Can my disbeliefs even about God show up? Because you know, not everybody in here believes in God. You know that, right? There are married people in here. <clears throat> believe completely different and fight about it every day because they're too busy worrying about changing each other rather than being changed themselves. But what happens when I show up authentic and saying, can you accept all of me? Because I'm gonna let you in my space. I'm not gonna let you take over it because you're autonomous. You're two separate people who get to be authentic with each other. And that, my friend, is intimacy. Thank y'all. I told you it wouldn't be too long. I tried to make it as awkward as I could. There are times when my wife and I fall on two ends of the political spectrum, two opposite ends, and we still get along. There are times that when we disagree theologically and we still live in harmony. The hardest part for her is that I am right. 
What a humble woman. Somewhere along the way, we have confused looking. I'm sorry, somewhere along the way, we have confused love with looking alike. Particularly in marriage in a committed relationship, right? We have the tendency to think that unity means uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. I can be in unity with you and not have to be just like you. This is why the church stays in such disarray theologically. If you don't believe the way we believe, then you're on the outside. Rather than saying, who is our central focus? Jesus, that's good enough for me. That's unity. I don't have to fight with you over nuances. I just want us to be in unity. My wife and I finally have that kind of relationship because we can be okay with those differences on most days. Because, hear this, love makes room for the other. Love makes room for my humanity with other people. Can I fall apart with you or do I have to do that away from you? One of the huge questions that shows up in my office, and I mean every week, in various ways, is something like this. It's a variation of this. Is there room for all of me in your life? Now, again, I'm talking about couples. I work with couples, right? So I'm speaking in terms of marriage and relationships because not everybody that comes into my office is married, but they may be a couple, right? Can all of me, or do I have to hide parts of me from you? There's a form of therapy called IFS, Internal Family Systems, and the very short of it is this. Internal Family Systems states that we actually function in parts. Amen. It hurts, baby, trust me. When you have to deal with them parts, you want to cry about it. Right? It's, it's this modality which works on these different parts of me. And, and we say it in everyday life, we just don't think about it. We'll say, well, you know, a part of me wants to do this, but a part of me wants to go do that, right? A part of me wants chicken, and a part of me wants chicken, uh, steak, right? Right? A part of me... <laughs> Sometimes I get so stupid in my own head, right? There's a part of me that loves this, and, but a part of me that, that, that loves it that way, and a part of me that, right? We speak in this kind of language all the time. And if we can see our partner or spouse's parts or in parts rather than the whole, what would that mean for us? Does that make sense? Like, what if I could see them having a moment in their life where, they're depressed or sad or angry or jealous or spiteful. That that's just a part of them. That's not the whole of them. Are y'all with me today? Right? What if I can see that part and go, what if God is working on that part of them, but I'm interfering with what God is doing because I'm uncomfortable with that part of them? Wouldn't it be bad to know that we messed up what God's working on because we just couldn't keep our nose in our own business? 
Jeff and Sue, they live in parts. Every human does, right? There's this part of Sue that loves Jeff so much, and there's this other part of Sue that wants to punch him in the mouth. <laughs> she told me that. I'm joking. <laughs> I love having a microphone. You have no idea. But serious, there's a part of me that struggles. Hear this. There's a part of you that, and there's a part of me that feels, that struggles to feel loved by you. I mean, I know you love me, right? This is what you say to your spouse, your partner. I know that you love me, but there's this part of my heart that is so guarded. And I don't know that it's safe to let you in. Because what if you discover something about me that you don't like? I don't know that I can handle that. Maybe there's this part of my struggle. There's a part of me that struggles with having faith like you do. And if I were to be honest with you about that, that might make me feel judged by you. And I can't bear being judged by somebody that says they love me. In those moments, I don't need to change those parts of you. I need to make room for those parts of you. If I can make room for you, you can heal. When I can make room for you, now you're safe. And when you are safe, now you can risk being human with me. And when you can risk being human and safe at the same time, now healing can take place. Please hear this. If I have to hide from you, how can I heal with you? Love allows me to heal and not hide. Why? Because love creates room that says this, I'm going to embrace all of you the best that I know how. I'm not gonna do it perfectly. No, and, and, and they can't do it perfectly for you either. But what if we're just open to saying, I'm gonna make room for every bit of that here and I'm not going to judge the person that I've devoted my love to. When you have to hide your authenticity, it is scientifically proven that anxiety, depression, chronic anger, fatigue, stomach disturbances, and chronic illness will show up in your life at some point. That is why we have to love the way the Bible says. You're literally delivering people from disease and health problems when you love them well. I about took off and ran around this room. That stuff fires me up that we can literally love people out of sickness. We can love people out of pain, church. Come on now. We can love people that way. We can love people out of it. By the way, if you do ever see me running, it's because somebody's chasing me. Just gonna, just gonna throw that out there. Yeah. If I ever take off, y'all better follow, right? Number two, love creates curiosity. This is, for me, one of my favorite ones because it's one of the most famous statements that was ever said was by Walt Wiltman, and he said, be curious, not judgmental. 
Love creates curiosity. And according to Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 13, right, he says, love is not arrogant. Another way of saying it is love is curious, not judgmental. Where curiosity lives, judgmentalism dies. Why would I accuse you? No, I'm sorry. While I could accuse you, I'd rather get curious about what makes you tick. I had a client in my office look at his spouse one time and say, why are you the way you are? I'm thinking, let's rephrase that. Because she's about to kill you. And I have to report all of this. Right? How about we just ask her, when this happens in you, what, what's going on? Can you help me understand what's happening in you? Isn't that much better? What makes you think the way you think and live the way you live and feel and dream and hope? I want to be curious about you. I want to know you. Love requires us to be curious. And here's why. Because it's hard to love a new version of someone when you wish they were still the old version. At the end of the day, if Jesus did not come to judge anyone, why would I start with someone that I say that I love? Why would I lay all of that kind of pain at the feet of a spouse or a partner? One of the most toxic traits, one of the most toxic things you can commit within the context of your relationship is to violate the individuality of the other. Again, another, another client statement here. This one hit hard when I heard this. He looked at his wife and said, you are just so pathetic. If you would just change, this would work. This is exactly what judgment looks like rather than curiosity. When I am judgmental toward my significant other, I am saying more about me than I will ever say about them. I'm revealing that I have a hidden pain and a need for healing that needs a lot of hope and a lot of care. Number three, and we're almost finished. Love creates connection. Now this seems to be obvious, right? I'm loving because I'm connecting with them because I love them. But I want you to hear this through a little bit different lens, okay? Love creates connection. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, love bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I'll wrap that up in a statement in a moment. But this one seems obvious. But if I view our relationship through the lens of obligation, Love withers and dies. When I view our relationship through the lens of obligation, love withers and dies. I mean, of course we have obligations in marriage to remain in fidelity, right? To remain with infidelity. You get what I'm saying. To remain faithful. Right? Not to remain in infidelity. That's, that's kind of off the table, right? 
You know, the issue with modern society is all of this is recorded. Right? We have obligations. But if I'm only connecting with you from obligation, our love will suffer. We are together, not because we are obligated, but because we felt a connection that we wanted to grow. Love that connects, here's how that sounds. I see you and I want to connect with who I see. I don't want to connect in order to change you. I want to connect in order to know you. I want to know all of you. Anybody here know the group Journey and the song Faithfully? That just shows to me that y'all listen to secular music. <laughs> Shocking. So do I. So there's a, there's a line in that song, Faithfully, that says, I get the joy of rediscovering you. That's what connection looks like. I get the joy of rediscovering and discovering things about you that I didn't know. That's why I want to connect with you because there's something to be seen, something to be experienced, love and passion and growth and destiny and a hope and a future. Not just physical. This is why relationships that connect on physicality first do not last long. Because you get to see the outside, but you fail to see the person on the inside and you may not know that or like that person. Let me summarize Paul's words through the lens of connection. If we were to take 1 Corinthians, that, that passage there in verse 7, and kind of put it in a statement, what it, sound, it would sound something like this. Because of my love, I will bear all things with you. I'll make room for you. I'll bear it with you. I don't even have to understand it, but I'll show up and be in it with you. I will bear all things with you. Even when it gets heavy, I'm connected to you because I believe in you. Please hear this in the purity of what I mean. I connect with you because I believe in you, not just because I want you. When I'm with you, my hope grows. My passion grows and together because of love, we can endure all things together. This is why this kind of love not just how we do love, but why we love like this. It's not just a wedding passage that we read. It's because we are neurologically, we are wired for connection. Neurologically, we're wired for connection. So when Paul gives us a high bar to love people, he is saying to us, if you wanna heal, if you want people to heal, if you want others to have and give hope, here's the model. This is not just a description, but it is prescriptive, right? It's not, a just, it's not just descriptive. It's prescriptive. Go do this and you get better. People get better when they're loved well. And if I could remain committed to knowing you, connecting with you and loving you well. 
I will not view you as a project to be fixed, but rather a human to be loved. And in that love, you and I will both also heal. Love allows me to be my authentic self and be accepted. I have yet to meet a person who could heal under pressure. I've yet to meet a person that could heal under judgment. And I can guarantee you this, I have yet to meet a person that can heal under shame. So what would happen in your relationship right now? And I'm not talking about just your marriage, but your friendships, your close, close relationships. What would happen in that relationship right now if you replaced judgment with curiosity? Instead of, why do you always try, tell me more about that. I see you. I hear you. That makes sense to me. I don't understand, but I want to. I don't understand, but I want to. Can you help me know more about that? I didn't say this in first service, but I'll, I'll say it here. One of the statements that I use in, when I'm speaking particularly just on this subject often is this. Because you understand, we don't talk to each other like that right there, right? We don't say, tell me more. That makes sense. I want to understand, but I don't. We don't talk like that, which is the problem. Because here's what I can tell you, particularly in marriages, an uncommon marriage requires uncommon language. It requires you to talk to each other in a way you've never talked to each other before. And you can say, well, that's just not natural. Okay, then fight. Fight it out. See how long that lasts. Struggle with it or change the way you talk to each other. When you have children, when they start bickering each other, what do you tell them? Don't talk to each other that way. And then we turn to our spouse. We, we wonder, where did they learn that? Hello? An uncommon marriage, an uncommon relationship requires uncommon language. So maybe we learn to talk that way. Make it weird. Your spouse is going to go, why are you talking like that? And you go, I'm just trying to understand. I don't. Can you help me? It makes sense to me that you think I'm being weird. Now we start practicing a new way of talking with each other. Guess what happens? We're making room. We're making room for newness. We're making room for growth. We're being curious, not judgmental.
Another statement that we use in my world is share love, not advice. We're not advice givers in my office. We ask a lot of, a lot of questions because we want, because you know what we're doing when we ask a lot of questions in the office? We're creating room for self-discovery because you know just as well as I do, until you're ready for change, you ain't gonna So ask a lot of questions. Be curious. Because when I do those things, I'm saying to you, I'm here to help you carry the weight. I'm here to be curious about you, to know you. And this allows me to show my partner, you are enough for me still. You are still enough for me. So as we close today, kind of a weird segue coming from a marriage message, but we'll try it out. As we close today, I want to remind you that there really is another person that says that we are enough. And his love really is what compels us to even talk about this kind of love. In fact, I'm not sure that I would have a revelation of this kind of love unless he had compelled that. His love gives us depth to reach beyond judgment, judgmentalism and be curious with each other. His love creates room for all of us, no matter where we are in our life, to say to him, I want to know you because I know you already know all of me. Let's all stand together today. We're going to enter into a time of worship and sing about the love of Jesus. Today, engage that. Maybe even take time to reveal a part of you to God that maybe you've not verbalized to him before. We know he already knows it, but just give it to him. Say, here, here, all of me. The holy parts, the unholy parts. Yeah? The good parts, the parts that need healing. The whole parts, the broken parts. And let's see what God will do in our lives. God bless you.